Welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, we talk about sustainable investing and how your portfolio reflects your values. Do your investments seek accountability from corporations that govern more and more of our society and even the lives we lead? Listen in as we explore the question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Grego Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. Good afternoon, Kim. How are you? I'm great, Eric. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And I, well, you have given me the honor of introducing our guest today. Can I do that? Yeah, sure. You, we can. Yeah. All right. I, you know, before you do that, I was just thinking tomorrow is the first day of autumn. Can you believe that? Huh. You just had to spoil my fun. <laughs> I know. I'm not actually super excited about that because think about it. I think, oh, winter's coming. And and I don't say that in a pop culture Game of Thrones kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> just like, well, but you're, winter's coming. Yeah, winter, but you're in Santa Fe and it's beautiful. I'm in Nebraska and it's not. <laughs> it gets cold here. It's We're 7,000 feet. Okay, but cold we and beautiful. We get snow and it's cold. It, yeah, the sun is, the, or the sky is blue and the sun comes out. But it gets cold. It gets below freezing a lot here. So All right. it gets very cold. I'm not I'm not excited about winter. Anyway, yes. <laughs> let's talk about my guests. All right. And that is our Paul Herman. And I'm gonna do just a quick bio here because I think you said it right before we started the podcast. We could say his bio for the next twenty four minutes. <laughs> yes, we, we could. We should probably yes. get into the, the podcast. But the bio that you've given me is that he's a CEO and founder of HIP Investor. He produces over 129,000 rating on investments to fund managers, advisors, investors, and 401k plans. He advises individuals, families, foundations, trusts, estates, corporations, and college endowments to seek more impact in their investment portfolios. And my first question is, Paul, is it HIP investor or HIP investor? We like to live up to the brand of HIP. So right. we yeah. also have Green Santa who visits uh, during the holidays. So that's one good <laughs> thing to look forward to in the winter. Okay, we'll take Green Santa. And yeah, I, I love that it's HIP investor. Yeah. So yeah, I'm so glad you're here with me today, Paul. Thanks Delighted for joining us. Yeah. yeah. Paul has a very unique rating process. Mm-hmm. And I love that Paul has written a book about it. So he's not one of those folks who has this investment process that's very secretive and he doesn't tell anybody how he does it. He really literally has written the book on his investment process. It's called The Hip Investor. So he published that in 2010. Mm -hmm. And Paul, you have a new book coming out really soon, don't you? Yeah, the first book was out on Earth Day 2010 from Wiley, the financial publisher, and the next book will be out in the winter. Some one more thing to look forward to. Yay! Okay, and we have two couple weeks out in December, so good for Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. Right. Winter Great. solstice. Okay. And that's called the Global Handbook of Impact Investing. And right. We actually collaborated with 46 different authors to produce 30 chapters of how to make impact, whether it's fossil fuel free in your portfolio or gender lens investing or how to measure impact around the world and how to do so in China and India and 
Brazil. And so we're really excited about it. I'm very much looking forward to this one. Uh, there, uh, the first one was very interesting, and I talk about it a lot when I'm talking with my clients. So this one will be super interesting in terms of sharing different options for folks as well. And I know you've written so, so, so many different articles and white papers. And again, as uh, Eric said, we could go on about your bio. But what I really want to know before we get into the HIP and investment process, there's two things I want to know. One, what I really want to know, and I've always wondered about, is what does HIP stand for? Well, HIP stands for being HIP, of course, like <laughs> a beret or being a hipster, which is what we call our team and our community. But HIP stands for Human Impact and Profit. And we identified this as impact because we wanted everybody to understand it. Uh, and relate to it. You know, sustainability is a long word and impact is a short word. It's six letters, two syllables. And most people can find themselves in the under the umbrella of impact. It is called human impact. Uh, it's not to be exclusive of animals or the earth, but because we're humans, sometimes we think selfishly first. So that's purposeful there. And then it's not independent of profit. It's when you do the right thing for people or planet or trust, or as you know from the hip book, the pillars of health, wealth, earth, equality, and trust, they, it actually helps you to increase your chances of both making money and making more money at lower risk. So that's why it's called hip. Excellent. And recently I did a podcast on the three Ps and what those stand for. So that's that's perfect. And I love that I get to tell my clients, and I was joking a bit about being hip when they're in your portfolios, but it's true. So I'm going to, I'm going to use that a little more frequently. I also really want to know how you found your way into the world of impact investing. And if people look at your bio, whether it's on LinkedIn, uh, I, I don't know if it's actually on your website, but you know, it it really talks about your education, which is quite impressive, actually, Paul. But what's your aha moment and where you really determined what you needed to do with your life and how this became such a passion for you? Because I do, I know you pretty well. I've, you know, talked with you a lot and this is a passion for you. You wouldn't have written a couple of books around it. So how did you, how did you come to be the founder of Hip Investments? Sure. Well, some people uh, identifies being a workaholic and I identify as being a missionaholic. And when you're a missionaholic, it's just what you do. It's your identity. It's your goals. And we're all about action and results. So how do we get people to, to understand, to organize, and then to, to act? So I'd say there's three contributors to that aha moment. The first, of course, is my parents. Both my mother and my father were big on accountability and making sure that individuals get a fair shot relative to institutions, which certainly is a, continues to be a key aspect today. The second contributor was I was doing management consulting and I was doing that for businesses and they wanted lower costs. Sometimes they wanted higher revenues, but a lot of times they wanted lower costs. And when you cut costs, you usually cut people. People are half the cost structure on average. And that just didn't, wasn't very fulfilling but one of my major projects in consulting ended up working on the Hanford Nuclear Reservation, 
in Southeast Washington. And so this is all public information I'm going to share. None of this is confidential. Hanford used to be one of the two big nuclear production facilities for making nuclear missiles and plutonium hockey pucks that go in the missiles. Right. And the job there was to was to help clean up the site and clean it up faster in 1995. So sort of 50 years after World War II and, and after the Cold War is how to make this site better. And one of the key things as part of that project was indigenous people live there and they're as one of the 40 plus stakeholders to this project. And they wanted the land restored to what it was before this nuclear production started. And uranium and plutonium have half-lives that are thousands of years, and that was never going to happen. So that shifted my mentality to solving human social and environmental problems and doing so through my training and expertise in finance and capital markets. So that was that was one, that was sort of part two answer. And part three of the answer is, in doing that, I ended up joining Ashoka. And Ashoka is a nonprofit, global nonprofit in uh, more than 80 countries around the world. And it was started by Bill Drayton, who used to work for the EPA and also used for McKinsey Consulting like I did. And what I found, discovered at Ashoka was there are these amazing people called social entrepreneurs who are missionaholics to make the world better for everybody and people and planet and trust. And, but they were usually underfunded. And so the idea that I had at Ashoka was when we're working on a project called social financial services was, could we combine the missionaholic nature of environmental, social, and human entrepreneurs with business and capital markets that usually have the most resources and a lot of talent? Um, and how do we combine those together? And, and so you might know of the United Nations Human Development Index, and that's for countries. And the genesis of HIPAA is what if we could create a human development index for companies? And so that was the genesis of HIP way back in 2005. That is really fascinating. I, I'm actually going to borrow your term missionaholic because I, I've never heard that before. So I like it. I'm going to use that. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I really like it. So what I'd like to do is shift a little bit and talk more about HIP and your what you're doing with your work now without getting too geeky, although I think a lot of our listeners do enjoy the geeky part of, of what I talk about, uh, what, what some of my um, guests really talk about. And, and I know this is available on your, your website for, for HIP investors. Can you just briefly explain how you would describe your ratings me methodology? Sure, happy to. Just like when you go to the movies, you look at the number of stars on the movie, or now Rotten Tomatoes, you see a, what percentage <laughs> of critics like a particular TV show or movie. It's the same thing with the HIP rating. So HIP rating is a 100-point scale where 100 is close to utopia or nirvana or heaven, and closer to zero is closer to dystopia or hell. And, and 50 is sort of that break even between net positive and net negative. And so what we seek to do with the HIP ratings, whether it's on stocks or bonds or funds or real estate or hedge funds, we even did it for artwork when we worked with clients, 
is to say, what is the net positive or net negative value to people, planet, and trust in your portfolio, in your 401k, in your, in your IRA, in your portfolio? And what we found over time is those factors like customer satisfaction or employee retention or greenhouse gas footprints or board diversity or how much the CEO makes or who's suing you as a company. Those factors are not only indicative of net positive or net negative benefit or cost to society, they're also leading indicators of cash flow and profit. And so what we found is using the HIP rating on 9,000 stocks and 100,000 bonds and thousands of funds is higher HIP ratings generally correlate with higher financial return and lower HIP ratings generally correlate with lower financial return over time. Uh, and so that's the goal of the HIP rating system is to get companies, issuers of stocks, bonds, fund managers to focus on maximizing their HIP score because it will not only maximize benefit to people, planet, and trust, it should over time be stronger and more resilient. Okay, Paul. So with the time we have left in the podcast, I really want to focus our time on what you said to me was the five pillars of HIP. And when we were conversing prior to the podcast, you called them the the five crises of our time. And you described them to me as health. And if we relate that to now, you know, it's COVID is the big issue at the moment. Wealth or income inequality Earth and climate is our major issue. It has been for a long time and probably will be for a number of decades. And and then equality, racial justice is a, a huge issue, always has been, and uh, certainly prime importance at the moment. And trust or the corruption of our systems, which we can certainly see as a major issue right now, especially with the election coming up. So where would you like to start? Do you want to go through them one at a time? Uh, do they all work together? Well, How? let's go through them one at a time. And they yeah. definitely work together. And these are all based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So we built this before the word impact investing became popular. We built this before environmental social governance, ESG, became popular. And we built this so we could talk about it like I could talk about it you know, to everyday people, including my mom. So yeah, let's go through it and we can be both call out the challenges and potential solutions. Great. So let's start. Let's start with health. Sure. So health encompasses both physical and mental health. And there's more and more recognition about the mental health aspects of this, but the metrics of health include things like job safety, but they also include employee satisfaction. And so if you're not satisfied at work, you're not going to do your best work. And you might have heard this at one point, like from the Gallup poll, Gallup has interviewed millions of corporate employees. What do you think, Kim, is the, is the average employee satisfaction or engagement? How many employees feel engaged at work every day? Percentage-wise? Percentage-wise. I would say 25%. Yeah, it's about right. It's in that 20 to 25% range. So if you could get employees to be engaged, twice as many employees to be engaged, instead of one out of five, one out of four, you could get that to two out of five, two out of four, you could double your productivity. And that would mean that you'd have people feel safe at work and feel expressive at work and 
be innovative at work. And sometimes I think of this as not percentage of people, but percentage of time. And there's five days, five work days in a week for most of us. So for if you say employees are only engaged one day a week, what if we could get that to two or three days a week? So now with COVID, that's even has additional stresses because people are teaching their kids at home. Uh, later on today, I have to accept my Costco delivery. I have to be the warehouse manager, make sure everything I ordered comes in. You know, we have to wear masks when we're outside. So the COVID crisis is pressing not only physically, but mentally and has ripple effects. So, and then when you think about portfolios, real estate, if you're investing in any real estate, who's gonna come to a physical space? So those are just some of the issues. And, and so that is gonna spark innovation and those innovations on physical health, mental health, real estate and other factors. And we have applied this to like real estate portfolios now where we're tilting away from uh, you know, tilting towards like data centers as real estate investments, because there's going to be increasing digitization and away from things like stadiums, because those are going to be difficult to fill up with other than cardboard cutouts. That makes a lot of sense. I would not be surprised if with, with more people working from home, job satisfaction starts to go up in some ways especially if there's less demand on the nine to five work time and there's more flexibility in work time and space, I think people will be a little more satisfied with their, their work opportunities. It definitely helps not commuting. And, yes. it, and it depends on if people have a chance to earn money from home, a high contact industry in person versus high contact industry online right. and, uh, and how adaptable we all are because we are, we are beings that crave social connectivity. So true, very true. So when we talk about wealth, income inequality is a very big issue. So how would you address that? Well, this is already starting to be addressed. The good news is that uh, right before COVID hit, there was enough pressure with low unemployment rates that companies like Best Buy were rolling out fifteen dollar minimum wage across everybody in the enterprise. And we had done some work with Retail Industry Leaders Association, or RILA, R-I-L-A. And the retailers were finally understanding the power of having things like flex time or sick time or parental leave. And that was having a positive effect on retention. So first of all, minimum wage, that's one the, if minimum wage had kept pace with the productivity gains since 1980, minimum wage today would be 22 bucks, but the federal minimum wage is $7. So we're underpaying people by two thirds. And then to add insult to injury, CEOs are getting paid tens of millions of dollars. And that's some work that we do with As You Sow, the nonprofit, to show that overpaid CEOs underperform financially. And so we're going to about to do this for the seventh year with As You Sow for the most overpaid CEOs report. And it's just, it's a leading indicator when you overpay CEOs, uh, you should expect that that company will make less money for shareholders in the next one, three, five years. Um, so those are easy things, pay everyday people more and pay CEOs reasonably because that then causes like a morale effect, which goes back into health, which causes emotional frustration and employee turnover and the like. 
Are you also addressing the uh, the women's equity issues here as well? Yeah, so women's equity, both on pay and opportunity, is both here in wealth as well as in a, as well as in the equality pillar. And so the pay is more focused here in the wealth and the representation on the board and executive team and equality under equality. And we're pushing for like others are like you and folks at uh, Trillium uh, managing portfolio 21 asking for the EEO one forms, which are confidential documents with the government and the EOC to be open sourced. And there are a handful of companies who are doing it. So Chevron and Intel, Intel is probably the best one because they're not only showing who they're hiring at each level, but how much they're paying and pay ranges at each level. And so if more firms would release this confidential data that is currently being reported to the government, to the EOC and make it an open source EEO1 document, then we could see both the metrics of what's happening and the equality of what's happening. Yeah, that would be great if we could actually get that data in a public fashion. I'm going to come back to Earth because we just started talking about the equality piece and and the women's portion. But let's talk about racial justice because we're seeing so much happening on a national level on that issue. So how does HIP address that? So historically, we've addressed it primarily on gender because racial diversity metrics are not prevalent and available among the S&P 500, the Russell 3000. So when George Floyd murder occurred, we said, all right, well, what are the existing racial diversity metrics? Because they're not being collected by anybody in any systematic way. So we analyzed the Dow Jones 30 and went to each of those companies. And first of all, we found that only half of the Dow Jones 30 actually report anything on racial diversity. And some companies like Procter & Gamble even have gone a little bit backward in that they used to report and now there's no data that they're sharing. So for the S&P 500, 91% of companies have diversity goals, but only 14% have diversity targets. So nine out of 10 have a goal, but only one and a half out of 10 have a target. So we need to close that gap. Those companies that have a, have a goal, like we promise to be diverse, to be compliant with the law, they also need to say, and 40% of our workforce is gonna be diverse because 40% of the US is diverse. And what we found in that Dow Jones 30 analysis was, as you go up to manager level and supervisor level, the 40%, the good news is the Dow Jones 30 that report actually do have 40 to 45% diversity in their workforce. Apple is one, traveler's insurance is another. But when you go up to the manager level, it drops to 33%. And when you go up to the VP or C-suite level, it goes to 25%. So it goes from four in 10 to three in 10 to two and a half in 10. Those are only of the companies reporting. So the companies not reporting might be worse. They might be better, but they might be worse. So we don't know. So there's sort of a transparency gap is what we call it of what are companies actually doing and how are they reporting on it? And then we can start looking at who leaders and laggards are. But one of the frictions that comes in is a company like Chevron, which is quite diverse, is in the fossil fuel business. So what do you do about something like that? Do you have it in the portfolio because they're more diverse or do you take it out of the portfolio because their core product is killing the climate. 
Yeah, I think that's definitely a problem in in terms of looking at the bigger picture. And many clients will not want to have companies like that in their portfolio simply because there's a bigger picture issue to look at as well. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about earth and climate. And I think there's some obvious things we're going to look at and you're probably looking at in terms of climate issues and climate change. And so tell me what HIP is looking at and scoring on, on climate. Sure. So for climate, we're looking at the basics of oil and gas consumed, water used. Water is usually cheap. This is one of the things we find in, we rate muni bonds who are water utilities. Water is underpriced across the U.S. And so that lack of an accurate price, we waste a lot of water or we don't reuse a lot of water. Emissions, of course, and we're really excited that Carbon Disclosure Project, CDP, is now launching a new metric for companies. First of all, they're doing the science-based targets. So we have this strategy called the science-based targets for climate action. That's one of the things, strategies that we manage. And we're tracking the 54 companies that are tradable in the US by, are they gonna hit their 100% greenhouse gas reduction by 2030? Or like Novo Nordisk or Levi Strauss, are they gonna hit their 90 to 95% greenhouse gas reduction? So CDP is taking that to the next level and saying, you're on a path for carbon that's going to equate to some number of degrees of change in earth temperature. And not just do this like the scientists did to win the Nobel Peace Prize, but to do it by company. And Natixis, the financial company, has said that if you invest in an index, like a Vanguard index, you are investing in a plus five degree Celsius world which in Fahrenheit is like plus 10 degrees. So that means our world, average world temperature, instead of being in the 60s, will be in the 70s. So that makes sense to some of us, but what we like to do is personalize things. So your body temperature, if your body temperature, average body temperature of 98.6 were the Earth's temperature, and your body temperature went up to 108, oh you, would my e- gosh. you would either have Ebola or you'd be dead. And so that's what we're trying to, to express to people is, even a one or two degree Celsius, which is a three or four degree Fahrenheit, that means your body, the earth, if it were your body, would have 102 or 103 fever all the time. And so that's, we just need more and more ways to communicate the everyday impact of this to investors so that they can move their portfolios away from emissions to renewable energies, to water efficiency, to clean air and clean water. So yeah, there's lots to talk about. <laughs> there is. And I, first of all, I'm a little stunned when you put it in those terms of a 10 degree change in your body temperature of having a, a temperature of 106 or 108, right? That's shocking because you're right, we'd be dead. So that that I hope that is an eye-opening thought for people. And then I have a question. When you say underpriced water. Are you talking about municipalities and how they're not charging individuals or homeowners or businesses enough for the water usage in terms of correct convincing? Correct. We, yeah. we treat water essentially close to free. And, uh-huh. and that when water is cheap, I mean, we've seen this in some companies, when they do a water audit, you know, the water bill is low, 
but the water volume may be high. And then they do an audit of where does the water go in the factory? They're like, oh, we've been leaking water the entire existence of this factory because we had an open valve and because we weren't paying a lot for it, we never found it. So, so there's wasted water. The water price is low. And so that means infrastructure may not get invested in if you're not collecting enough money to reinvest in water infrastructure. And so that's why in our muni bond ratings, the HIP ratings on muni bonds, we actually say the more you charge for water, the more HIP you are. Because if you charge too little, you're not gonna be able to reinvest in the system, but you're also not gonna create any incentives for people to save it. So that's one of the sort of unique things that has been a new learning for us along the way is we actually do need to pay more for water. We might need to pay more for energy too, so that people treat it in a way that they become more efficient about it. I agree with that. And on the other hand, we want to pay, to pay people more because that's energy we use and water we use, but people we want to innovate. So we have to pay people more. Right. That's true. And here's an interesting thing that I find, you know, I live rurally Eric and I talk about that all the time and I have a well. So once I've drilled that well, there's never a charge again for my water usage. So I can use as much as I want. I don't know if I have a leak because I, there's no reporting on how much usage from month to month. I have no idea. So if my water usage goes up dramatically over a period of time, there's no way for me to tell. There's no monitoring of that. And recently in, in the county I live in, Santa Fe County, they started talking about putting monitors on new wells, not on older wells, but new wells. So not to pay, but just monitoring water usage, which I think is a great idea, but there won't be a charge for water usage. Now, I yeah. think there should be a charge on water usage. Not a lot because it's very expensive to drill a well in you know when you live in the county, but I think there should be a small charge for usage. And the monitoring I think is a really great idea because then people would know, oh my gosh, I, I've suddenly doubled my water usage in a month, but I didn't do anything different. Then you would know to look for a leak. And I think that should be done on all private wells, personally. So, Agree. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. All right. So the last one here is um, trust and corruption of systems. And I, I'm quite sure you are not talking about political systems. Maybe you are, but since we're talking about investments, I'm not sure this is really a necessarily a political statement, but maybe it is. So tell me what you mean. Well, when we, you know, back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, if you have health and wealth and earth inequality, what makes a society operate and individuals and institutions operate is the trust in them to self-actualize to your highest potential. In companies, and so in an investment portfolio, one of the key indicators of trust is legal lawsuits. Who is suing you? So why do people sue other people? They sue them because they've breached some commitment, uh, whether it be customer purchasing, employees being fired uh, for being discriminated against, uh, suing on behalf of the environment for polluting it, competitors suing each other for stealing trade secrets. 
And those are behaviors that are greedy behaviors. You're trying to upset the balance of the individual over this, you know, the, the team or the community or the society. So that's generally what we talk about. And what we find is companies who are sued more or for higher amounts or in more class actions are less stable investments. They're riskier, they're managed risky in a riskier way. And then if they're, if they're caught and they're guilty, they have to pay a lot out. <laughs> so you don't wanna invest in a company that's getting sued for a large amounts. We also put transparency in here. So can you see what's going on? Can you trust but verify? And we put lobbying in here. And what we found is, we asked the question early on, since we've been doing this for 15 years and now doing this for 9,000 companies and 100,000 mini bonds, is there ever a case of a company lobbying lawmakers on behalf of their customers? And the answer is no. There is not. And I used to work for the founder of eBay and even eBay where a million moms make their primary income from eBay and another million make their secondary income from eBay. When eBay lobbies the government, they're lobbying for like lower taxes for eBay. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's, an, that's a negative factor. And so what we find is over the long, in the short term, that can work. In the short term, subsidies can work to help boost cash flow for the companies. But over the long term, you then don't compete as hard and you create a long-term risk. So that's what we talk about in trust. And we can talk about it for like the whole system as well and how individuals have decreasing trust in overall systems. But it all starts with individual behavior. And are you treating others the way that you wanna be treated? And are you being greedy versus sharing? So like in the animal world, when a monkey of a troop finds, or a tribe finds food, uh, you have to give the food call. You have to say, I found food and we're gonna share it with everybody. If the monkey is greedy and they do not share the food call and they're caught, the rest of the tribe will beat up that monkey. And so that's what we're trying to do is to create like the food call of a world that we all want to live in. So those are the five pillars of HIP, health, wealth, earth, equality, and trust. And they fit today's definitions of E, S, and G. And it just, the E is earth and the G is trust, but the S is this health, wealth, and equality. And so we just try and put a fine point on it to have companies communicate and measure and report what they do. And then that gives us signals as investors as to where we'd invest to maximize human impact and at the same time, create a positive profit potential. That is very, very fascinating. I've really, really enjoyed hearing about these five different components or the five pillars of HIP and learning something new today. I wanna know, Eric, if you have any questions. Well, I'll tell you, I've been geeking out here. <laughs> Just like <you're, laughs> I'm sure you well, have. <laughs> I mean, you and I've talked about this before, and and when you bring on a guest, I just sit back and learn a ton. And holy cow, this was a fire hose again, as usual. Just yeah. with the, you guys going back and forth, I love all the information. Paul, thank you so much for for being here and sharing this with our audience and mainly me because <laughs> I, I I just love it. it it's I uh, I can't get enough of this stuff. It's, it's been very fascinating for me. And I, a couple of things I just want to share with listeners, you know, we use a number of Paul's uh, options in terms of portfolios for our clients and we love them. Our clients love them and it's, it's just been great. So I'm, I'm glad to have a little bit more information to be able to share with my clients. 
So thank you so much, Paul, for being here. Paul, do you want to share any last words? Um, well, your it's website? a to team up and collaborate together and to help everybody you know, have a more impactful portfolio that can be stronger and more resilient over time. So really appreciate that, Kim. And yeah, so the website is HIP Investor, H-I-P Investor. And the uh, book that we have coming out in addition to the 2010 book of the HIP Investor is the 2020 book of the Global Handbook of Impact Investing. So that'll be out for the holidays. So feel free to share it as gifts with family, friends, colleagues, clients. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much again for joining joining me today, Paul. Thanks, Kim. Paul and Kim, this was fantastic. Like I said, I, again, never astonishes me how much I learn from every one of these podcasts, Kim. So thank you for bringing Paul on. I say it every time, but you bring on the best guests. Thanks. And if clients are interested in in learning more about our portfolios and the options that we have available for clients, and they might be interested in some of uh, Paul's portfolios as well, they can reach us by emailing info at horizonssfs.com or calling us at 505-982-9661. We're always happy to talk with folks. Perfect. And the last thank you goes to you listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Grego Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Deep Impact Investing Podcast, the sustainable, responsible, impact investing podcast that shows you how to get your voice heard. It's time to start investing like you give a damn. To ask a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast, email us at info at horizonssfs.com or join the conversation on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash horizons sustainable financial services or give us a call at 505-982-9661 don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available the companies we may speak about during our podcast are not recommendations for investment only you and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you and your situation horizon sustainable financial services is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of new mexico and other other jurisdictions were registered or exempted. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guest and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions questions you may have regarding your investment planning.